It's Monday, the 12th of November, 2018. My name's Jeremy Medlin, and welcome to this bonus episode of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Gone a bit off piece this week in terms of the podcast. The first is, is in terms of scheduling. Normally, of course, we release an episode every Friday, so if I've thrown your schedule off for the week, I do apologise. But don't fret, we will have a new episode out this Friday as well. The second is in terms of con- in terms of content. Normally you just get my thoughts and ramblings about different companies and the market in general, but in this week we've actually got some good content for you. Some good content in the sense from a a CEO of a publicly traded company in New Zealand called Plexure. What happened was I did a shout out a couple of episodes ago for someone to get in touch with a bit more information about the company and through the grapevine none other than the CEO got in touch for a chat. So what I did last week was I recorded an interview with Craig Craig Herbison, the CEO of Plexure and what we'll do is we won't waste any more time as we'll just get straight into the recording now. Right so I was talking last week about a company that had some good updates, Plexure, and I did a little shout out on the podcast for someone to get in touch with me that might know a bit more about the company so I could understand it more, and none other than the, the CEO, Craig Herbison, reached out during the week and got in touch. So what we did is we arranged a meeting in their office, and we're just going to go through the company and some updates and just go from there. So firstly, how I found out about Plexure is I was scrolling through the, and it trades on the NZX under the ticker code PLX. Now I was scrolling through the NZX announcements as I do most days and I came across the headline, Plexure increases revenue by 51% and reports made in profit. And that obviously got my attention enough that I wanted to click on the article and go in and read. So what I did is I didn't actually read anything initially, I went straight to the interim financial statements and went straight to the cash flow statement because what you see with lots of these companies is they say they're profitable but then when you actually look on the cash flow they're not generating any cash and what I saw was that Plexure generated from operating activities cash flow of around two million dollars and an immaterial amount of capital expenditures so I was curious before but now it had my attention and then next thing I did is I look at the market cap and at the time it was at about 22 million dollars and after six months you see operating cash flow of 2 million and a market of 22 million, that definitely got my attention. And then I scrolled up the page and looked at the balance sheet and saw there was no debt and $6 million of cash in the bank. So when my, I initially had that curiosity and then I had my attention and then it was about finding out a bit, bit more about what the company does. And that's why I'm going to introduce Craig Herbison, the CEO of Plexure, who I'm sitting with right now to have a bit more of a chat about it. Hello, good. Hey, well, thanks for showing the interest uh, you know, in the in the company and coming in and have a chat. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So I guess what I'll get you to do to, to, to kick things off mm. is maybe if you could describe a bit about the company history mm-hmm. um, and I guess probably describe it to me as if I don't know anything about the company at all. Sure, okay. So Jeremy, people have had uh, mobile phones in their hands for quite some time. Um, but what sort of changing now is people are starting to use mobile devices for more than just making calls or text messages and looking at content. They're starting to engage with brands through mobile devices. So we describe ourselves as a mobile engagement software company, which means that we build software that sits on mobile phones so companies can engage with their customers. Historically, that has been the ability for people to send customers notifications around a particular offer to have them come back into their store, show that offer and have that redeemed. So that was kind of the early genesis of what uh, Pletcher was in its early days when it was called BMOB. 
since then, um, we've grown that proposition to include things like loyalty, which is the ability for someone to make a purchase and for them to receive rewards, earn rewards, yeah. and then redeem those rewards on those purchases. And now also the ability for people to be able to use the mobile phone to order products or things and pay for it. So really the core part of our proposition is about you know people being able to receive offers, redeem those in store, physical retailers through their point of sale, um, have some sort of loyalty engagement that keeps people coming back and makes them sticky, whether it be value in that or not, through points or not, and then the ability then to make purchase through uh, the platform as well. So it's all platform that sort of sits within the mobile phone, and that's the software that we build. So if I was a user of that software, would I, would I download a Plexure app, or would I download, or have you white-labeled that with a company, and I'd, I'd download it through the infrastructure? How, how does it work? So we're a, we're a B2B company, so what you do is you would download the app of the company that you'd be wanting to have that offer engage with, with so yeah. engage with um, and so we're kind of the, the engine behind the, the app so most companies do have an app of sorts which might be a more of a brochure display information but when companies want to have more engagement with their customers in terms of understanding them providing them with offers which are related to their needs what we mm. understand is their personal needs or what environmentally might be happening around them in terms of weather and stuff that's when the intelligence of the Pletcher platform comes in and can serve up those offers next best activity those sorts of things for companies so in terms of how you're generating your revenue then is that through like a subscription model with the the companies that are white labeling your product or is it through a transaction based model when people were interacting with the mm. app so it's all that so revenues are a license so people will pay a license, license to use, that's what to I use that yep. software um, they will then pay for support because if you're on the mobile phone and you want to engage with the customers that needs to be 24-7 or 24-7-ish mm. so we have SLAs with our customers they pay for and then they pay us to integrate our technology into their platform into their point of sale into their databases um, connecting to location services all those sorts of things so we know where a customer is so we can contextually send the right message at the right time um, and then we have uh, so that we get revenues from that and then we build additional features for customers like loyalty, earn and burn, um, and they pay. So earn and burn. Earn, earn and burn of points, for instance. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So that sort of thing, which we, which they will pay us for, um, and then we also, you know, there's a consumption part to this as well. So when a customer uses the device, they're using storage somewhere for their data, or they're right. using consumption back up into the cloud. Yeah. So activity into the cloud, um, and that's the transactional piece. So increasingly, we're moving our pricing to add that transactional piece to it. So if you think about um, a company we might work with that has a number of stores, mm. that they want to incentivize people to come into those stores. They may have X number of stores, but they may have tens of thousands or you know hundreds of thousands of customers that might come to that store. So when they use the platform to engage with those customers, it's not really related to the store, it's related to the customers they have, they have the, the app in their hands. So increasingly we're moving our pricing more towards that transaction-based pricing rather than more store-based licensing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So if, I, if I'm just based off what you say, if I were to make a guess, am I right in saying there's probably two parts to your business? There's the development and software side of things where, you're, where you've got your staff Mm -hmm. that are engaged in improving the product and adding functionality and everything like that. And then I imagine there's a sales aspect to it as well. Are you able to sort of 
yeah, provide so, some colour there? Yeah, so, so people will uh, take the licence for the software, uh, they'll have that integrated into their app and they'll pay for those professional services to integrate that sort of activity. And then we will help work with them through data scientists mm. to work out what sort of activity they want to do over that app. So what are the sort of offers they want to construct, what segments they want to talk to, how they want to take those customers, what sort of actions happen where actually the customer will then receive that offer and the contextual environment. So yep. whether it be location or whether it be time, day, those sorts of things, or even just a customer's preference for a certain particular item that we might understand through other activity they may have done through web, web browsing activity. Um, but all that data, there's a lot of data which is ingested into our engine from a variety of sources that helps us build next best activity through data science. So it's the optimization for the customer and account management almost with the opportunity to sort of potentially upsell or? Yeah, so what we find is that, um, you know, customers dip their toe in the water of this. They, they like to have an app um, they'll try it out with a very broad based segmentation and a very broad offering uh, and then as they develop their uh, level of uh, sophistication we can aid them uh, have more sophisticated more one-on-one -on -one type generated offers for their customers yeah and how are you going about when I said sales before I sort of meant in terms of attracting new mm -hmm. customers on board what's the sort yeah, of process sure. there so we've we um, you know when I came on board a, a year ago um, and we had a few, couple of horizons we needed to get through before we got to sort of re, you know, opening up our sales pipeline. The first horizon was really stabilizing the business and getting into a cash flow positive position, which yeah. is what you've already talked to. That was important because like a lot of technology companies, there'd been considerable investment over a period of time, which had meant the company was making a series of losses. Mm which you'll see a balance you know, gone through an annual report and through the So you came on with the, I guess, specific goal to get to that cash flow profitability level to yeah. give you the flexibility yeah, so going I, forward. So I sort, of, I, I sort of came on to sort of take the company to the next phase of its growth to commercialisation. So yep. the investment had largely been made in had the technology and you know, the team was on board. It was now, how, what do we do with this? So the first horizon was to stabilise, get us into a cash flow position uh, which was positive, so we right-sized the business. The second horizon, really, so that was kind of like, you know, what we call it was sort of getting it set up for, for growth. The second phase was building those foundations for growth, which was articulating really what our proposition was, because mm. it can be quite um, confusing for people. Yep. So it being very crystal about exactly what it is, then how we want to win and where we want to win. So having a strategy that said, these are the sorts of categories that we feel is the best use of our technology, the best sales opportunity, uh, and piecing all that together in terms of those foundations for growth. Then looking at how we then build, you know, the business getting ready for growth, so scalability. So, you know, you know being a $10 million company, $20 million company, what would this look like at a $100 million company, yep. which is our ambition, and we see that as real opportunity. Then, you know, what does the business need to look like in terms of its structure, how we operate and scale to get to that point. So that was setting those foundations. So now we're, ex we're into the third phase, which is executing for growth, which is we have those cash reserves, those $6 million, mm. um, which we are now you know, using some of that, not all of it, because we want to maintain a company that's in the black, uh, to reinvest in our execution, so do a bit more work on our platform so it's ready to scale as we bring on, so we have 85 million end users today, you know, if we bring on another 85 million in a year's so time. when you say end users, 
they are either customers or clients of the people who have downloaded people, people who have downloaded, who have okay. downloaded yep. the app and are consuming the platform receiving offers receiving push notifications um, earning points redeeming points or purchasing via, via the app so that's a, that's a, that so that's a fairly significant piece of scale already today in Japan we have 15 million monthly active users on one part of the platform monthly active monthly users active yep. users so that's fairly significant in terms of the scale of the business and also the level of engineering we need. So we do like 10,000 interactions per second. Um, I think Paymark uh, transactions that are cleared through you know the payment system at Christmas is like 1,000 mm. a second at Christmas. So that gives you a feel for um, the sort of scale of engagement we need to build our business ready for another 85 million customers, yeah. which is what we're, we're looking to do. So getting those those executing for growth means that we need to have a, a platform that can handle that growth, more productization so that customers can buy more features. Uh, and then to the point that you asked earlier was then that the sales activity. And so we've recently put our sales activity back in play. We've put it back into the US um, and we're getting you know, good line of sight on good deal flow and our proposition is landing well. Uh, we have had, prior to my uh, coming on board, we have had sales teams in the US before, probably a little bit too early to market. Yeah. It takes a while for this uh, technology to be adopted by customers, but also for companies to adopt the capabilities they need to, to engineer this experience for their customers. This is the big shift from sort of chief marketing officers to chief digital officers we see in organisations where using digital channels to engage with customers is becoming more important um, and core business. And when we see that, then people see what we do as being a core part of how they engage with their customers moving forward. So that's that's kind of one of the issues that may have hampered our success or growth previously, was the market wasn't as fertile and ready. What we're seeing now though, particularly in the US, is a huge amount of adoption of this technology, uh, not just app-based, but people engaging through a variety of different channels to potential this intelligence sort of engine whether it come through um, smart speakers, mobile wallets, messaging systems, chatbots, all those sorts of things. Uh, also channels through which customers or brands are looking to engage with customers to send them offers, have them redeem offers or, or make payments. Yeah. So yesterday we are predominantly app based in terms of the engine sits underneath an app and engages to a customer through an app on a mobile phone but the future is really any of those connection points. Yeah. And I think if you look at those you know, data points, smart speakers, Alexa, those sorts of things, in the US, 26% of people who own a smart speaker have made a purchase through the smart speaker, mm. so they've used voice to, to, to buy something. And mobile wallet is another technology which is, which is reasonably underutilized, I think, in New Zealand, but in the US is, is going quite strongly. Uh, $1.3 trillion of um, payments will be going through mobile wallet in this year, which is an increase of 32%. So that says that in some markets, customers are really adapting or adopting, sorry, these technologies to engage with brands through mobile devices. Um, and we talk about mobile as being general mobility, not just the mm. mobile phone, which is smart speakers and all those sorts of things. Yeah. So and obviously, if you, without giving away any names, I mean, how would you describe as sort of like the typical or ideal customer in terms of using your platform then? Yeah. So we're lucky that we have, you know, the world's 14th strongest brand on our sheet, amongst others, McDonald's in particular, which is our largest engagement. Um, you know, the, we work with them in uh, 40 countries around the world, 
Uh, and so that is a particularly good user case that we can take to other companies like It looks McDonald's. good, doesn't it? It does, yeah. it does. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, a, it's the sort of company that everyone would like to have on their masthead, particularly in terms of the scale of engagement. And it's good that you can say that as well. Well, that's right. Yeah. And they're, they're extremely supportive of our business, as you'd expect, because, you know, we have a big, long relationship with them. But also they're very keen for us to have additional clients because, you know, they're on a glide path of building more features. Uh, today, you know, we build a lot of features with them, but actually they're interested in how we might beat other features to our, to our platform with other customers as well. So building more of an ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, so I guess to your point, you know, having a, a case study like McDonald's um, and where they sit on the adoption of these technologies is a very, very strong selling point for us mm, because absolutely. it's a serious investment to have got them to where they are today, which other brands within quick serve restaurants um, which is, is this category that we are quite focused on. Um, admire what they're doing as well as others. Yeah. There's others, you know, Domino's who probably lead the pack in terms of what we've They've see. done a fantastic job of, of incredible everything, job. haven't they? You know, in and, terms and of their online system and their deliveries and everything like that. They're leaving their competitors behind yeah, pretty and, much. And so they're they? adopting and it's creating, mar- you know, it's creating, I presume, market share and differentiation for them. And so I think for a lot of, um, you know, fast food restaurants, um, you can build more restaurants or you can engage with customers through mobile devices to get more people into your business. Uh, what we do know is that for some for some of them, when they adopt delivery as part of that, like Uber Eats or their own mm. proprietary delivery, they can bring as much as 30% of new customers into their franchise who would never, an ordinary walk into their yeah. restaurants. Yeah, Because they're more... A lot of people use it as promotion, don't they? I've, I've seen... Yeah. Restaurant startup and use Uber Eats as a promotion for it. Well, it's more that people will sit at home and they'll go, What do we have for dinner tonight? Yeah. And actually, we probably may never have walked in to say, You know, this particular McDonald's or whatever restaurant, but they'll do that. So that helps them grow. And for those brands, this, it's a low cost of entry to have that delivery as part of the proposition. Um, but really, the, so you don't need to open more stores, I guess, is what mm. I'm saying. You can yep. use mobile apps to help people. They can sit at home and they can, as we do in Japan, you can buy your McDonald's sitting on the couch. You can walk, start, select the restaurant you want to go to. We serve up the menu of that particular restaurant. Uh, you can then walk outside as soon as you hit a geofence, which is a kind of a line in the sand, if you like, that when you walk through that, send your order through the kitchen. So by the time you arrive, it's fresh and ready to go. And then we also, you know, part of that, you need to help manage the flow of customers into those restaurants. So if you, you walk in, you're probably the last to be fed because you can wait, use the kiosk, or if you yeah. drive through, um, yeah, but if you're, if you're a mobile customer, you really want to expect it when you walk in there, it's, it's ready to go. And so being able to then you know, extend the kind of app experience so that people can choose those different ways of being served, whether it be brought out to you on the curb or whether it sits at your table, or whether you walk up, all those sorts of things are a key part of how brands, particularly in this category, will be looking to and are you know, engaging with customers in yeah. this space. Now, I have a question you're roughly sort of $25 million company now, right, in terms of market capitalization. You mentioned that you have a roadmap to sort of $100 million in mind. I mean, what what does Plexure look like as a $100 million company compared to now? Yeah, well, so we have an ambition to be that. Ambition, um, yeah. We have an absolute ambition, yeah, and it's good to have, you know, ambition. I think it could well be more than that. The um, we, we have these uh, single sort of big branded relationships where we go very deep on a multi-market basis. So another two or three more of those will be significant for us. Uh, we're also very interested in that um, aggregated space of people who are wanting to provide offers and loyalty at an aggregated level 
and what I mean by that is if you look at you know in the US company like Grubhub which yep. is a food aggregator which acquired one of our sort of competitors in the space recently for 380 million dollars mm. so they could offer loyalty at that aggregated level so what that means is that it makes the platform sticky first and foremost and then those brands underneath it can have offers and loyalty within it so we're interested in you know how we might grow yes with single brands but also in aggregated environments they don't necessarily have to be you know, fast food environments because there's a lot of companies looking to come in over the top to aggregate that experience yeah absolutely so really uh we've got you know um you know we, we have strong ambition uh we have a very good model on how we operate today and how we make money and how we are you know being you know financially successful in that it's replicating that model as many times and as fast as we possibly can yeah. you know to grow it i mean i was impressed looking at your cash flow statement as i said before that a company and i guess in your sphere in that sort of software space this early on being cash flow positive it, like like you alluded to isn't that common these days yeah. well i think the 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 choice that we took was to you know a lot of startups try to build a new product and create a new category mm. this is now existing product existing category and so we need to take it to market but also we've taken sort of the decision to innovate with our customers so rather than having, you know, like a lot of startups, a number of software engineers that may be sitting in a room trying to come up with the next best idea or the next thing, uh, we're working with our customers to find out exactly what their roadmap looks like and how we can enable that and build with them. And what that means is that we can build in tandem with them, we can share the cost uh, with them, but when we build that, we still own the IP, so then we can sell it to multiple brands and multiple markets. So that's very much how we've sort of contained our cost in our development sense. So pretty much everybody that you know works is, is paid for by a customer, mm. which is always key to a business like ours. So you see, I mean, there's no, in my view, there's no right or wrong way of, of doing it, right? You see a company like Amazon, which has grown and been extremely successful while not been profitable really mm. in any relative basis, where you compare that to say a Facebook where profitability seems to be in their DNA right from the start. So you, you sort of, in terms of future growth, I mean, obviously there's no guarantees, but you'd expect that to be on the, the profitable yeah so i think you know the, the 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 barriers to profitability are always about how you manage your your costs as mm. you grow whether you invest ahead of revenue um and also a, you know, a big feature of that which is to some degree underplayed is pricing yeah um and having you know good i'd like your views on that and having you know, having good strategic pricing which is about maintaining pace with the market but also being quite innovative in your pricing for customers one to lower the barrier of entry to use your technology, but then you grow as they grow. Yeah, which is where transaction-based pricing is really important. Yeah, um, you know, in this space, particularly around mobile engagement. You've seen a lot of that in the United States with companies like Dropbox and and yeah. things like that that give away a good free service, but can build that profitability in later on. It's quite interesting. Yeah. So I've got your financials financial statements here in front of me, and I just sort of go go through some things that I highlighted sure. on them. Um, and I think a lot of it, it's, it's been built into your answers already. Mm. So I'm guessing it's, it's for the six months ending September 2018. So compared to last year, you've grown revenues quite significantly. And am I, am I sort of right in the assumption that that's through the increase, increasing adoption of the McDonald's thing in Japan? Or how, how does that look? Uh, well, so there's been further professional services development in Japan where we've been building mobile order and pay, but also we have been um, you know, integrating a lot more 
markets around the world for McDonald's. We've done 20 in the last. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. So, you know, each one of those markets comes with opportunity, uh, both in terms of revenues of that particular market, but then further opportunities of what we might do with those markets. And they're of various scale. You know, sometimes you have small markets, you know, um, Bosnia, I think, you know, has three restaurants. In Bosnia. Places like that, you know, which <laughs> yeah. was uh, compared to others that you might bring on that might have, you know, four, five, six hundred. So, and they all have different revenue uh, related to their size. Did you know that no two countries that have a McDonald's have ever been to war? No, I didn't know that. So that, that's so, the globalisation yeah. thing that you can always say. That's, that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, we have, four, we have 40 of them today. And, of course, you might imagine we have a plan that will continue. We've also grown your know, revenues with our other customers as well. Um, but that's sort of the, the key part of our growth has been also focusing on our existing customers. Um, you know, software companies sometimes can be a little bit fire and forget, mm. sell it, take the license and move on. Uh, we've seen a lot of opportunity in sort of building out that consultancy aspect to our business of sticking with the customer, helping them work through what the next phase looks like as well. And that's an area where we will continue uh, to build out our capabilities. Um, you know, AI will be a you know, machine learning and AI mm. capabilities is a key part of how we continue to evolve the proposition so that, you know, particularly in the offer generation space, um, you know, it can be a lot more automated and self-learning. So when you say alpha generation, is that what you said? Uh, auto generation, automated, I guess. Yeah. You know, because um, you know the, the whole point of machine learning and AI is that it's self-learning uh, and can be a lot more automated. Today, we use data scientists who write algorithms and ingest data into spreadsheets, write algorithms and create you know outcomes or decisions that you know can become offers that get sent to customers, and then we can learn through that. Um, so that is an area where a lot of automation mm. um, is the word I struggle with. I didn't quite get it there, but. Uh, is where we're expecting that. And also in the era of um, security and fraud detection. That's so, a bigger and bigger thing, isn't it? Yeah, particularly, you know, in having come from the you know banking industry and being well familiar with, you know, that is a risk to, you know, the banking industry because clearly there's people's customers' money and payments and those sorts of things. Particularly through the mobile devices, brands adopt ways of connecting customers, whether there's a commercial aspect to it, whether they receive an offer, redeem an offer, or even then take a payment increasingly these technologies will come under attack uh, by people who will see the commercial opportunity to harpoon um, you know your capitalism at work yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah well and, the, and those technologies are, are readily available you know and they're, yeah. they're built for good and for evil and they're used sometimes but what we see as an opportunity is to build ai capability in that space to effectively sniff out uh, some of those service attacks yeah. that come in prior to them happening, right? Because uh, they can be quite so the data will recognise some yeah. sort of pattern or something like that. That's that right. Well, can... something that doesn't quite look as yeah. it should do. Um, this doesn't look like a human. Yeah. You know, uh, and so if this doesn't look like a human, it might be something else. So therefore, it's potentially fraud. So it's that sort of area as well that we see a real application and have built AI into our business because we want to get ahead of those. Uh, sorts of instance for our customers absolutely and just sort of working through the the income statement here the next thing i highlighted was the wage staff and contractor growth mm -hmm. so this year compared to last year or at least this reporting period there was quite a, a, a large jump in in, in salaries essentially mm -hmm. and i'm guessing that goes back to what you said before about sort of setting up for that next stage of of growth am i right yes or? that's right but we still maintain sort of a, a you know, cash flow positive position. We're still running the business in a very cost controlled fashion. Yep. Uh, we will look to invest. I mean, I, I would expect to see this just yeah, so. Well, yeah, well, yeah, you, you, but it, 
well, absolutely. So yeah. um, that, that we are, we are, and we'd have those cash reserves to deploy. Mm. Um, yes, some of that will be and has to be people because we are a technology company that needs software engineers to build things. But we are very much focused on building things where we know there's real market demand or customer demand. Mm. And so a lot of that scaling up really is just about flow that we have coming into the business. And we know that if we had people would wrap around arms around it, uh, you know, and get that revenue. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll flick on to the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've already spoken about the cash. There's a, a, approximately $6 million in, in, in the bank. Um, can you tell me a bit about the convertible notes on the mm-hmm. on the current liabilities there? Sure. So the convertible note, we went to market. So there's one one point four million just yeah. just a few. So the convertible, and this is where we get into some some reasonably technical accounting. But if I give you a sort of very layman's perspective, yeah, which that's is what I need. my level, my level of, of <laughs> yeah. capability around this, uh, we went to market and we and we issued a capital uh, a convertible note, which basically gives people the ability to give us some money, mm. of which we will um, pay them back a particular interest rate or they can convert that convert into, into shares. Stock, yeah. into shares. That's why it's a convertible note. Sort of similar just as an aside to what Zero's done in Australia at the moment. They've sold some convertible yep. notes just yep. if anyone wants to have a look. Yeah, absolutely. So what that means is that in our previous years, the accounting treatment for the convertible note has meant that we've had quite a high liability on our balance sheet as a result of it, which hasn't been as proportionate to the absolute contingent liability you had. So what you're seeing now uh, at 1.3 million is closer to what actually the convertible notes value or cost to us will be in terms of paying it out, and that has had a that has had s- to some degree an impact on our you know financial position, as in our uh, last half we got fairly close to printing a profit, but for the impact of the accounting treatment for the convertible note. Yeah. Okay. So the next thing I want to have a quick chat about is is risks with the business, mm-hmm. right? And when stuff goes wrong with public companies, mm-hmm. you can usually look back at something and say, oh, that happened and that was obvious, we should have picked up on that. Yes. What what would be something in terms of a, a red flag that we would pick up on if, if things weren't happening the way they should here, for example? Yeah, I, you know, I think in all these things, it's always the weak signals and the weak signals of things changing around us are always there. Uh, it's having your antenna yeah. sensing it. Um, we, you know, we, as you'd expect, we spend a lot of time looking at the risk profile of the business. Um, the, you know, to be honest, there's not a lot of weak signals at the moment that suggest there are inherent risks. We're in a very good cash position. We have strong relationships with our customers. Yes, we have a concentration risk with one main customer. Yeah. But actually, when you mine into it, that's one customer across many, many markets of which they're all individual contracted. Right, so, right so McDonald's in Japan doesn't affect McDonald's in Bosnia, no, for example. No, no, no. Yeah. It's completely separate yeah. um, you know, relationship and completely separate contracts. So people might see that as a particular risk because they, you know, generally investors don't like concentration risk around a particular mm. brand. But what we try to communicate is that, yes, it's a brand, but actually it's a multi-market brand, a multiple ownership, multiple contract relationship. So people might be looking at the outside of the weak signal of that concentration risk, but our view is it, it isn't. Yeah. Um, from a technology perspective, you know, you always need to stay ahead of you know the technology. Um, you know, you wouldn't want to be building beta with VHS on the doorstep. So we're always constantly aware of, you know, that's probably going back a few years before your time. But in terms of, you know, the old video recorders. <laughs> yeah. Well. In the case of you know the really good technology, which was superseded by a much better marketed uh, technology being VHS. So you know you always have to be aware of the technology space. We're recording this on a phone, aren't we? Well, well yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you know, match, matching yourself against the market always, 
uh, and you know technology you know, in China there's some phenomenal technologies you know coming out of China in terms of customer engagement but there's still they've, they've sort of skipped a level in many ways haven't they have they? they've sort of you know they've, they really have uh, jumped over um, you know and high levels of, of adoption and of course it's, these are markets of huge scale so there's always there's always technology risk that your technology doesn't keep pace we yep. have got a product roadmap now we sense very heavily what's happening in market with our competitors uh, our sales people are constantly feeding back how our proposition is landing mm. um, so we, we try to mitigate that as much as we possible I don't see a competing technology today on the horizon anytime soon we are still very cutting edge yeah in terms of our technology so you've got, um, you know, I guess risks around customer concentration, possibly technology, um, balance sheet strength. We've got a strong balance sheet. Um, yep. So there's, you know, we're doing much as we can to identify and minimise risk if it, if it appears. Yeah. Now that strong balance sheet, I mean, at, at the moment you wouldn't have plans to go and raise more cash from the market or... I mean, is that part of your strategy potentially, or is it? Do you see future growth purely coming from the cash that you're generating? Look, I think if we have an ambition to be a hundred million dollar company, I don't see any reason why not. There will come a point in time when we need to raise capital for that to happen. Yeah. Uh, because there's market opportunity that we see now in present, we just need to get a distributed sales force that's out there to grab it and bring it into yeah. the business. At the moment, we are managing that within our current uh, cash reserves because we want to prove out the proposition to the marketplace. Plexia has had a bit of a checkered history around um, sales activity yep. uh, and performance. So part of you know, what we're trying to do as sort of a new leadership team here is to build a, you know, is to build high level of confidence that you know, we've stabilized the business, we've built our foundations for growth, we're now executing for growth. Uh, we've been reasonably pragmatic whilst counterbalancing that we are an innovative technology company and that's core to our DNA of who we are. Uh, but we're trying to prove out really that you know you've got a good leadership team, you've got a first-rate proposition, world-beating competition. Let's win two or three new customers, and yeah. then I think then there'll be a perfect time for us to say there are really no real objections to why this company can't be a hundred million dollar company. Perhaps somebody at that point might decide they want to give us a bit of cash. And when we look at our competitors overseas, and I mentioned you know Level Up, who were acquired for three hundred eighty million by Grubhub, uh, Session M. Uh, another one of our sort of competitors in similar spaces had 100 million of funding last year. Urban Airship, another 27 million of funding. So there's a lot of um, investors are more than happy to get in behind you know, mobile engagement software companies that do what we do. Yeah. So we think that that money is available, but we want to get ourselves ready to scale so we can scale appropriately yeah. uh, if, if that's required. Yeah. In the meantime, uh, you're seeing great top line growth, you're seeing great performance through managing it within our current reserves. Absolutely. And I have to ask this question, do you see your future in New Zealand on the NZX or do you potentially, as some other companies have done recently, because mm -hmm. obviously a lot of your business is going to be overseas by the sounds of things, um, um, I mean, where, where do you sort of see the roadmap going forward there? So we are a New Zealand company and we're proud of that and we want to you know, support New Zealand and we want to be well supported by New Zealand uh, investors. There's reasonably little liquidity for our stock in the New Zealand market mm. because of scale, size, and also because of some of the history. Yeah, we're asking investors to overcome the history and see kind of the new management team and what we're managing to achieve. Um, there's no question that other um, stock exchanges might provide better liquidity. There is transaction costs and, and moves, um, but again, at this point, um, capital is not 
the issue for us. We would obviously want to have better share price improvement for our investors. Mm. Um, I imagine that if, I mean, if you keep on doing this, that will take care of itself. Sure. Well, that's right. I, mean, you know, I think you know, today we're at 26, 26 cents. You know, a, year, a, a week ago, we are at 15 before we put out our results. Mm. So we're getting good good support. Um, but even, you know, then our, um, you know, even then if you look at our enterprise value, which is, you know, a feature of your market capitalization and your costs uh, um, and those other things. So for that, just so people know, you'd take the market cap and you'd, you'd take away the, the the liquid cash essentially yeah. to get to that value. Yeah, so we get, if you look at evaluation, however you want to look at it, sometimes I talk about market plus just because it's easy for people mm, to understand. That's, yeah, yeah. it's a reasonably good proxy. You know, the the ratio or the multiple of which we're trading at, so top line revenue to whatever that mm. enterprise value is, um, is a fairly good investment for people today. You know, prior to our results it was about a one times mm. um, companies like ours can trade three, four, five times and overseas they can trade, you know Oh you see like, some crazy things. Like, yeah. <laughs> so that's about kind of appetite for risk, it's about market support. One of the challenges we do find is that it's very hard for people in New Zealand to experience the Plexure execution because it is deployed mostly overseas and also because the adoption of these technologies is far more progressed yeah. So I always talk about New Zealand as being highly innovative but quite progressive. Yeah. So our adoption of technology sometimes can be quite slow relative to the markets we scale and it takes off. And so, you know, um, the adoption of apps overseas and people using, um, yeah, so just even I talk about the quick serve restaurant category, $380 billion goes through restaurants today in the US. Yeah. By 2020, 38 billion will be going through mobile apps. Yeah. That's what's predicted. So at least 4 billion will need technology we need to be invested to make that happen. But really that is, uh, that's that's high adoption. Um, and certainly with our customers, we see that when, when they adopt that technology, they can get to about 20% of their customers are digital customers. Yeah. Some start off at 1% or 10%. Um, but that's, uh, you know, that, that's a key growth path. I think, you know, and as much as you ever talk about things as being a no-brainer, because it's always <laughs> yeah, that tends not to be when you say as soon as you say that, uh, people adopting mobile technologies to receive incentives to buy, to have some sort of loyalty dynamic, with that being able to sit somewhere and watch Netflix for free, which is what we do, or integrate mm. with Pokemon, which, which is what we can do, or earn and burn whatever that is, and the ability to order something and buy it and pick it up or have it delivered. Um, I think it is a bit of a no-brainer that that will continue. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess that's we probably discussed about everything that I had written right. down anyway. Yeah. So, is there anything that you want to no, I think sign covered, off with? We covered, I think we covered everything. There, yeah. Well, I guess you know it's it's a company that I'm sure I'll talk about again yeah. on the podcast, and yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to have a chat. Likewise. Thanks very it's much. Right, thanks very much for listening into the bonus episode of the podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that Craig or I said during the interview should be considered as financial advice. If you are looking for a financial advice, we recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. And I think this is a concept going forward that we'll look to do more of. I mean, I always enjoy listening to interviews of CEOs and everything like that. And I certainly, it's the first time I've ever done so. I, I did, did enjoy doing it myself. So hopefully we'll, we'll get to do more of these as well. But do, do send me any feedback that you have. If you ever want to get in touch, you can do it through the website www.stockmarketmovers.co.nz or you can reach out via Facebook by searching Stock Market Movers. If you haven't liked the page already, get out there and do it. And we'll see you later in the week for the standard Friday episode.